One thing about the Los Angeles area, you don't have to look too far to run into homeless people. Welcome to the Only Child Diaries podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Wallace. Have you ever felt like you didn't receive the how-to brochure on life? That you didn't get enough guidance about major life issues? So did I. You don't have to be an only child to feel this way. In my podcast, we'll explore some of the best ways to better navigate adulting while doing so with humor and light. Welcome everyone to the Only Child Diaries podcast. Today, I'm going to talk about homelessness and all that it entails. I never really set out in my life to spend so much time working in the homeless nonprofit arena. I guess we can refer back to the prior episode about life choices. But seriously, the journey for me started a long time ago. And for whatever reason, I just seemed to fall into it. Homelessness today is perhaps a relatively new term in society. Not that there haven't always been poor people, people without homes. Back in prior centuries, I don't think the term homeless was used as much as the concept of whorehouses. In the United States, whorehouses were common in the 19th and 20th centuries. I remember my mother and grandmother talking about the poorhouse. I never really understood or made a connection. I never really asked what it was. I was mostly a listener back then. I was just a child. It was a term that my family used. Strangely enough, it wasn't something that my dad's side of the family used that much. They had been here in California for quite some time. My father's family goes back in California several generations. My mother's side of the family had been living in Chicago, but had originally come from Eastern Europe. Maybe it was more of a common thing back in their culture. For whatever reason, a couple of years ago, I decided to look up the term whorehouse and found to my amazement that yes, they really did exist, especially in the United States, but also in Canada and the United Kingdom. Whorehouses were where that particular city's poor, homeless, or indigent people and families went to live and work, such as on a farm. So thus, a poor farm. They were sad places and not very well kept. They went out of style, so to speak, after the introduction of the Social Security Act that took effect in the United States in 1935, and they all but disappeared from society here by 1950. I would characterize a poorhouse as the predecessor to today's Skid Rose, but the poor farms were replaced with subsidized housing, Section 8 housing, and of course, homeless shelters. We might not have the poor houses anymore, but we do have areas of town where the very poor people go to live. And like a poor house, it's the very worst 
in terms of hygiene, comfort, and safety. Back to my family. If a bill came due and was higher than expected, or someone spent a little too much money on something, my mom would say, have to be careful. You don't end up in the poorhouse. She always said it with an offhanded lilt in her voice. So perhaps that's why I thought it was kind of an imaginary place. My grandmother also mentioned it a lot too. Back when I had my retail store in Pasadena, specifically old Pasadena, the area was being redeveloped from a deserted area where a lot of people described it as, quote, homeless people slept in all the doorways, unquote. So it's no wonder that the homeless people stayed as the buildings were redone and new businesses often opened up in their place. I admit, I had a soft spot for the homeless guys on our block. That's the thing. Even though a person might be homeless, they still tend to gravitate to one spot or a certain area where they feel comfortable. So we had our handful of homeless people, really all men, that were around. Sure, some were known to be seen drinking out of a paper bag late in the day, but mostly they just stuck around. And I realized early on that, yes, they were just people. So I often engaged them in conversation, said hello as I walked by them, or asked how they were doing. It really was to my benefit to become acquainted with them because they were always there. And they were like ambassadors of the neighborhood in a strange way. I also wanted them to respect my customers. I realized that not everyone is comfortable being around a homeless person, but these guys weren't dangerous in any way. And if you've listened to my episode on the time I had a retail store, you know that one time when someone was trying to steal from me, one of the neighborhood homeless men helped me. Once I started working as a fundraiser, I again fell into working on this issue. When I went to work for the consultancy I was with for a few years, I was assigned to several clients, and one of them was a homeless shelter out in the desert area near Palm Springs. My boss and I traveled out there once to see the facility, it's about 100 miles or so away, and meet with the director in person. It was more challenging to work on writing for them, having not seen the facility, I admit, but overall, it was basically what we expected. That part of the desert had, at the time, a lot of poor people who were there to pick the date crops, etc., and I guess there weren't a lot of options for housing or benefits. One thing about the Los Angeles area, you don't have to look too far to run into homeless people. In Los Angeles, there's an agency that manages a homeless count every other year. And while they don't specifically count every homeless person, that would be a pretty big job, they do a pretty good job of figuring out the trend and the rough numbers. Over the course of several consecutive nights, teams of volunteers are sent out walking or driving census tracts and literally count the homeless people they see or the encampment areas they find. The results are then tabulated and released. Shelter residents are included in the count, of course. 
The last count was done in Los Angeles in February 2022 and showed that there were approximately 69,000 homeless people in the county area, an increase of about 4% from two years before. According to HUD, there are around 582,000 homeless people in the United States in 2022. By comparison, the state of Wyoming had 576,000 residents in the 2020 census. I think that's an important comparison. It's an interesting comparison if you think about the number of homeless being 582,000 versus the state of Wyoming being 576,000. Although Wyoming is one of the least populated states, perhaps, in our country. Now, I tend to use the term homeless people instead of just saying the homeless because of a man named Dennis Alba, who worked with a group called Comic Relief. It was started in 1986 as a nonprofit with the mission to raise funds to help those in need, particularly homeless people in America. Three comedians were chosen to host the first Comic Relief telecast, and you might have heard of them, Robin Williams, Billy Crystal, and Whoopi Goldberg, and they remained involved with the project. Comic Relief raised nearly $50 million in its heyday, and that was distributed through other organizations to provide services and relief to homeless people. Dennis Alba worked behind the scenes, and and we had several conversations. One day, he explained to me that to him, the homeless were all people and deserved to be recognized as people. So he never referred to them as a homeless, but rather as homeless people. I appreciated his insight on this issue and always make the distinction myself because it makes sense to me. We lost Dennis in 2004 to pancreatic cancer. He was 63. If you try to look him up, he is not the billionaire that comes up in the Google searches. Important note to self. I ended up getting my first position as a development director or head fundraiser for a nonprofit homeless service provider in 1998. And it was and is still a great organization. We provided not only emergency shelter, but also transitional housing and long-term affordable housing at almost 20 different sites. It was a lot to keep track of, and we had an extensive staff. I worked on-site at one of the shelters, but being in the administrative offices, I didn't always get to interact with clients. When I did, it was always a learning experience. I really got to learn more about the root causes of homelessness. I had originally thought that all people who became homeless experienced some sort of traumatic event, something catastrophic. And yes, that was certainly true for many. There was a family who came through our system where the husband had recently been murdered and the wife was pregnant and almost ready to give birth. She already had several children and because her husband had been the sole breadwinner, and they had little savings, the family became homeless. This was one of the saddest stories I encountered. There was also a man, a single man, who was a CEO of a major corporation, and he had been suddenly laid off. 
for whatever reason, I guess he didn't get much of a severance package and he ended up homeless at one of our shelters. It's quite a come down from where he was before. I've never felt the need to judge people in these circumstances. After I closed my store, I had a little bit of savings left over and started a new life, but those funds didn't last very long. It was the early 90s, and I ended up getting a long-term temp job as I tried to figure out what I would do next. I was getting paid $7.50 an hour. It wasn't very much, but it was something, and it was full-time. I had to be very wise with my money, especially my grocery bill. I was determined to live within my means and be completely independent, but it was challenging. I had no savings to speak of. Well, it gave me a chance to prove I could do it. Still, I was on the edge some days, and I was hungry too. I didn't have a lot of money for food, that's for sure. And my car was broken into where I parked at work, and that caused more issues but I managed to take care of myself and it felt good. Besides not having a safety net, I think one of the other big parts of what I've learned about what causes homelessness is a lack of life skills, a lack of knowledge about how to navigate life, how to deal with challenges, and certainly not having a safety net of family and friends does really contribute. One big thing like a car breaking down could cause a person to not be able to get to work or not be able to perform their job. Or maybe a health crisis would do that. So many people live on the edge. Fold in the additional challenge of the high cost of housing, and it's often a recipe for financial disaster. After I left my first job as development director, I went on to work for over 20 years for another agency that assists in the fight against homelessness. We didn't provide direct service to homeless people, but rather provided support to the shelters that served them. During this time, I read statistics that in Los Angeles, there was only one shelter bed for every seven homeless people. I've often heard people rag on homeless people, saying that they just don't want shelter. It's still incredibly competitive to find shelter in the system and not easy without transportation to get around. Or I've heard people say that the people that stand at a corner and ask for money already have thousands in their bank accounts. Well, I suppose that's possible in one case here or there, but not the norm, certainly. And I remember working in downtown Los Angeles. There was an older man who would stand at the corner every afternoon as I was walking to my car. He was well-spoken and kind. His name was Joseph. He always said hello and made small talk with me. One day he was there, but his face was swollen and one of his eyes was shut. He had been beat up pretty bad. It's a tough life on the street. After a while, I stopped seeing him. I've also seen some people pretty out of it on what I can only assume are drugs or just perhaps some severe mental illness, but I've never feared for my safety. I fear more for theirs. And I've also heard someone say that if an adult reaches retirement age and doesn't have the means to house themselves, it's not up to society to provide care or services that they should have known better. While I can see their point and their view of it, from my perspective, that is very short-sighted and less than compassionate stance for their fellow human beings. By comparison, 
you could also say that victims of violence shouldn't have put themselves in a dangerous position. Not everyone is born or given the same chance to succeed, but also some people just fall on bad luck. And should we not be compassionate and kind to our fellow human beings? Our neighbors? Obviously, I feel we should. People have often asked me about my response when asked in public for change or assistance. My answer is, it depends. I have certainly given out money, but I recognize that a handful of change or a few bucks isn't life-changing. I'm more apt to give assistance to a single woman seeking help because life on the street is hard for a single woman, harder, rather, or someone with an animal. I remember once we were leaving Las Vegas one night, driving up Tropicana from Boulder Highway. It was pretty congested there near the airport, and there was a woman who had the usual cardboard sign and a dog waiting at the corner with her shopping cart and all her possessions. She was walking slow and looked tired. We had been having a great trip, and as I drove past her, I was compelled to help. But traffic wasn't stopping, and so I had to make a series of turns and U-turns and circled back and handed her a $20 bill out the window. I don't usually give a $20 bill to anybody. But if I hadn't have helped her, that one would have haunted me. Vegas, for all its bright lights and shiny surfaces, has a much harsher side for many people. Being the wife of a type 1 diabetic, there was once a fellow who approached me on the street, told me that he was diabetic, and he needed money to buy a snack because his blood sugar was plummeting. Of course, I gave him a few bucks. I should have gone with him to make sure he was okay. Sometimes I will ask the person if they have access nearby shelter and see what their responses are, see what their challenges are. And you can sometimes help just by seeing the homeless person and treating them with respect. They often are shunned, and they deserve an amount of respect and kindness as well. So many of our homeless are also veterans, and it's hard to imagine that they've served our country so bravely and are now homeless. Sometimes I think about the concept of paying it forward. Other times I realize there, but for the grace of God, go I. There it is, my soapbox. I'll get off it now. I hope that perhaps you've learned something about homelessness that you didn't already know. There are so many worthy causes in our world. Today, it's sometimes overwhelming to think you can make a difference. But you can. Donate what you can or volunteer. It all helps. Nonprofit organizations do important work in our communities and our world. One resource I really like is Charity Navigator. They monitor and rate many nonprofits and tell you if the group is doing a good job at fiscal management. This is one way to know that your donation is going to the work and not the admin expenses. Well, folks, that's all I've got for today. Next week, we'll tackle another topic together. I hope you'll join me. If you like this episode, please follow the Only Child Diaries podcast on Apple Podcasts or other platforms you might listen on. And consider rating Only Child Diaries and writing a review. It helps others to find us. Please share it with a friend you think might like it as well. 
Visit my Instagram page, Only Child Diaries, or Facebook, Only Child Diaries Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Tracy Wallace, and these are the Only Child Diaries.